today marks a very special day. Does anybody know what today is? I've been here now 10 years today. So, man, that's... So this is the longest I've ever I've ever been in one church. And, you know, so the first church I uh, was a youth pastor six years with Erskine back in the Ferris days. He was a youth pastor at a church in town. I was a youth pastor at another church in town. We decided that you didn't have to be enemies because you were from two different churches. We're all on the same team. So that's when we got to know each other. Uh, then I worked as an associate pastor at a church for six years. Then a lead pastor at a church in Wisconsin for three years. And I've been here for 10 years. And that makes 25 years I've been in vocational ministry. And so hopefully the Lord will give you more, um, will give us more. And my wife, I don't have any idea, I guess, you know, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say her age, but she's been in ministry since she was born. Her dad was uh, a pastor, so she's a PK. So she's been doing ministry her whole life. Um, You know, so I guess my 25 years isn't that big of a deal, right? So she's been a lot longer. And so... And, and a, a couple things, and this is going to be just about me, but I have to actually, you know, praise the Lord. Um, I'll tell you a couple things. One, only by the prayers of God's people, um, I think, have we been able to continue. Um, only by the prayers of God's people. I really mean that. Um, there are so many people that pray for us and my family. Uh, a lot of you have been praying a lot of extra hard these recently, and um, only through the prayers of God's people. Um, you know that the average pastor doesn't last very long. Y'all are aware of this, right? Most crash and burn within a couple years. The average pastor is in a church maybe three years is kind of about the average. Um, we now have record-setting empty pulpits all across our land. Just among Southern Baptists in this southern region, there's over 3,000 empty churches that still don't have a pastor. So it is epidemic right now, and more keep quitting, and more don't want to go into it. And so... Uh, only by the prayer of God's people and his grace. But I'll also tell you this. Um, it gives you some perspective. As i am just been praying and just kind of asking the Lord, doing a little bit of reflection, I was able to, we had a 10-day kind of mini sabbatical where we shut off our phones. We went someplace and stayed in a place. Get this, you're going to love this. We went and found a cabin, about 700 square foot, two-bedroom cabin, that had no internet, no TV, and your phones wouldn't work there. Doesn't that sound like heaven? What, what? It was the Garden of Eden. We found the Garden of Eden. We, we crossed a couple of those rivers and stuff in Genesis and we found it. But having that time with not the distractions, let me kind of reflect, you know, just on what I kind of think about life and ministry and over the past 25 years, um, I can tell you this. More now, even than I did in the beginning, I believe the scriptures are sufficient. Let me say this again. I believe the scriptures are sufficient. In principle and precept, I believe the scriptures are sufficient. I've come to believe even more today, 25 years later, that the wisdom of man is foolish. Foolish. More of it comes out every day. Also, I believe this, God's word is the final authority. So much of what we get fed to us day by day and week by week, and some of it within our own evangelical community, is not the authority of God's word. So I believe even more now in the sufficiency of God's word, the final authority of God's word, 
And even more now than even I did in the beginning, it's not like I didn't believe this, but even more so now do I believe that Christians have a responsibility till Jesus comes. Is that to make disciples, right? Make disciples. More and more. I always believed it, but believe it now more than ever. Even so much, you're going to see in a little bit when we baptize, it's not just Nick baptizing. Other people will be baptizing. The command is for us to make disciples and baptize. That means if you're a, a follower of Jesus, God commands you to be baptized and make disciples so that you can baptize people. Then you can teach them to obey Christ's command. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not obeying Christ's command, so how can I do that? Well, then get saved and start obeying his commands, right? That's what God wants. Make disciples. And I would say this. I'm even more convinced today, 25 years later, of not only making disciples, but but also we make disciples where we live, work, and play around us. But also, if God gives you a marriage and God decides to grace you with, with children, is that we have a responsibility to disciple even in our own home. I just want to tell you, just everything that's going on in our country, and this isn't like a political kind of speech or anything like that, but I will tell you this. In our country, those who do not hold to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, just want you to understand, those people don't produce babies. Y'all get it? Those people aren't the ones having kids. Those aren't the people focused on discipling kids. So here's the thing that's a travesty, is that Christians, when God blesses you with children, right, be fruitful, multiply, is I'm convinced now more than ever of the priority that parents have to have and discipling their children. Now more than ever. I would even say this. Now more than ever. But by the way, I mean, this is what happens if you get 10 days with no cell phone, right? Just to kind of think and ask the Lord. I'm convinced of this. Now more than ever. Not only discipleship starting with your home. Remember, it has to happen everywhere. But if God gives you a marriage and gives you children. Discipling there through the home. Not the only place. But a big place. But I also say this, I've, I'm continuing to grow in this prerequisite of a father, right, in that household should take a big leadership in that. Does that mean the mom shouldn't? No. But I've noticed this. In the 25 years I've been in ministry, I've noticed this. Mom always does this almost a lot organically, right? She does this a lot organically. But I'm more convinced now than ever that men have to step up their game on this kind of thing. Which means men have to put away the toys at times. Have to put away the idols. Have to put away the alcohol. Have to put away all the distractions. And focus on their children. So that the children can turn their hearts towards the fathers. A father must walk with Jesus. A father must take a role. You know, when you look at the word husband. Husband. That, that word that we have for English for husband. Break that down into two parts. The H-U-S, that's Old English for denoting house. House. Then take the last part, band, husband. What does a husband do? He binds the house together. That's what a husband does. He is the house binder. He is the man who comes in. He's the man who reads the word, who studies the word, who worships the Lord. He bands the house together. He calls his family to discipleship. He calls his family to love the Lord the Lord God. Are, we, are you with me on this? So I'm just pastoral reflections. Now more than ever, I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, the authority of Scripture. 
I believe discipleship. I believe we're all called to make disciples. I believe strongly in discipleship in the home, even more so. And I believe that husbands, men in the household, we have to, we have to be the strong man. We need steel in our spine. And I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm honestly concerned. 25 years later, about the way we tend to be discipling our children, that sometimes, can I speak honestly? I, think, I feel like sometimes we're raising, I mean, like we're, we're raising like boys that shave, right? Like boys that shave sometimes. That we've forgotten this idea that we are, that our children are arrows to be shot out for the kingdom of God. We sometimes want our children to just be portraits on a wall or now TikTok videos, right? That's what we want. But our children are actually meant to be arrows for the kingdom. 25 years later, more than ever, I'm convicted of where I fall short, where I have as a pastor, have not discipled and emphasized enough. And if God would be fit to give me breath and energy and the ability further, I hope 20 years from now when I look back that this will be a stronger priority in the people that I am called to equip. I'm more convinced ever. So I'm thankful for 25 years. And this last thing, in 25 years of ministry, I've come to understand the things I've just told you. But then also this, I am increasingly concerned that not all are at peace with God. That not all are really at peace with God. I'm talking about people who hear my voice all the time, people who come to church every Sunday, one Sunday a month, come one Sunday a quarter, or, you know, on Easter or Christmas. There's so many people that don't have peace with God. So if you're looking for a title for a message today, it's called Peace with God. And I think if you're going to open up the Christmas season, and I'm doing a series right now called The Sabbathship with the Gospels. We're going to be in the Gospels today. And I want to talk about this idea of peace with God. Go over to Luke chapter 2. We read it a while ago. I'm so glad that we read it a while ago. Luke 2. We're going to be in two portions of Scripture today. In my years of pastoral ministry, I'm, I'm more convinced ever that people have not really caught the Christ of Christmas. And I'm not talking about, you know, Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff, right? That, that's another discussion. But I'm talking about Christ, the Christ that came into the world. Which, by the way, we, we don't know when he was really born. There's three different theories. There's actually one that could actually place him uh, pretty close to this time of the year. There's another that would place his birth around August to September. That's one I think, when he was really born. There's another view that could place him more around May or June. So the point is not really when. The point really is, do you, can you celebrate his actual coming into the world? That, that God has come in human flesh and he is the second Adam who makes right what the first Adam did wrong. But here's the thing I'm more convinced of that I'm, I, I'm just wrestling in my soul is peace with God. When you look at the Christmas season, there's so many things we celebrate at the Christmas season, right? I'm talking away from the commercialism. I'm just talking about in general. We celebrate things. We celebrate that this Jesus is the great counselor, that he brings true justice and righteousness and joy. Right? There's so much joy during the Christmas season. So I love singing Christmas songs. But the first thing I think when you're going to think about the Christmas season, the Christmas time is... Do you have peace with God? Do we have peace with God? That's the biggest, that's the biggest question. And 25 years later, if I could do anything different in the past, 
that if God would give me breath and see fit to do it, is to make sure that people know that they know that they have eternal life. And that I would quit taking for granted that just because people have heard the message that they've said yes to Jesus. Peace with God. I want, to know, I want you to notice something. Look in Luke 2. And in Luke 2, we have the shepherds in the field. Go to verse 8 of Luke 2. And we read this earlier, so this is great. We're kind of set up and we're, and we're really ready for the text here. It says in verse 8, in the same region, this is about the shepherds, the shepherds receiving, uh, receiving news about the Savior. It says this, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. By the way, just a side note. Can I make a side note? Let me do a rabbit trail, not an elephant trail, a rabbit trail, right? Notice they were at night. So I don't know when Jesus was born, but I am pretty sure it was nighttime because the text seems to indicate something like that. Um, I've noticed something that, um, you know, or at least when they discovered, I've noticed something that, that there's something special still to the Christmas Eve service. I've noticed that. I've wondered to myself, like this past year we were trying to, because y'all are aware that Christmas Day is on Sunday, right? Are y'all aware of that, right? And uh, by the way, we're going to have it on that day. Like, like, why can't we have it, you know, on a Sunday morning still, right? We're not going to cancel it, so do what you got to do. We're going to have it. But then the thought was, well, why should we have Christmas Eve service? I mean, the next day, I mean, man, can we have church two days in a row? I mean, what, you know, like, what kind of freaks are we, right? So then I thought, you know, wait a minute, there is still something special. I, I really can't get over it because... Um, people will come on a Christmas Eve service and you're just like, man, you're fitting this in the midst of family meal and everything like that. And, and, but there's just something people know, a specialness to that season. So they get the, they, they're keeping watch over their flocks by night, these shepherds. It's at night. I think it's a wonderful time to, to the, the Christmas Eve service or something about the nighttime. Verse nine, and the angel of the Lord stood among them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them and they were terribly frightened. That tends to happen when you come face to face with an angel. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a, what does it say, church? A savior. That, that word savior means that you need to be saved from something. You need to be saved from something. Hold on to that thought. He says, there's a savior coming. He's for you. He's for others. He's for all. Who's Christ the Lord. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped, verse 12, and clothes and, and uh, wrapped in clo- clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What's the next word? Peace among men with whom he is pleased. I read that text and I'm pointed out to two things. The promise of the Savior is peace among those whom God is pleased to bring that to. The thing I notice is before you get to the peace, you have to have the Savior. You don't, you don't get peace, then the Savior. You get peace as a result of the Savior. And I'm convinced more and more in the 25 years I've been doing ministry, there's a lot of people that don't have peace in their life because they don't have a Savior. And what I mean when I say that, I'm saying not that they haven't heard the good news or heard the intellectual knowledge of it, but they truly never have come face to face with the reality 
that they cannot save themselves, they're not good people, they can't earn their own righteousness, and that the greatest danger of their life is that they are guilty, just like they are guilty by birth and by nature of the wrath of God, and that the wrath of God can be turned from them through the Savior, Jesus Christ. That, there is no peace in a person's life until that has happened. The biggest problem that we have is that people don't have peace because they don't have a Savior. Now, why is that? Why do people, why do people not, don't think they need a Savior? Because remember, you, you can't truly have peace without a Savior. But I want you to notice, a lot of times people try to find peace through other lesser Saviors, right? I mean, retail therapy, anybody? You know, what, why, why is Amazon so attractive? Because it, 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 it's a Savior. It really is. It can be, I know you might be thinking like, no, it's not. I mean, have you seen, I mean, you can stock up. Has anybody tried the auto the auto list, right, where it just automatically ships to your house? Nothing's wrong with these things, but I will tell you, sometimes they become a savior. I mean, have you ever noticed how sometimes life feels just a little bit better with just every click? Sometimes we try to fill our life with other saviors, saviors of our own imagination. Sometimes we try to find, find our own saviors with food and drink and money and alcohol, and shopping, and mindless distractions, and the newest adrenaline craze. But what 25 years of pastoral ministry has taught me, there's a lot of people trying to find peace, but they don't have peace because they don't have a Savior. They're trying to find peace. Everybody, we try to find these little bitty, smaller Saviors. There's only one true Savior. Now someone might say, why, why do people do this aside from the things that you just mentioned, Nick? Well, I don't know. There's several doctrinal reasons. I still think people don't really believe hell's real. They don't think hell's real. They think the fact that I would talk about it, I must be some kooky fundamentalist pastor who's, you know, where did he dig up the old book that talks about this kind of stuff? No, hell's a real place. You shouldn't get saved only because there is a real hell. But man, that's not a bad motivation to get you started. You know what the worst part about hell it's the wrath of God. It's the holiness of God unleashed for man that, does, that is fully deserving of it. Hell is a real place. Those not in Christ someday will receive resurrected bodies, bodies fashioned, it says in the scriptures, and we'll look in one portion where you're going to see it here in a little bit in John, where when this life is over, your bodies will be resurrected. Either, either a, get it, you'll get a glorified resurrected body fashioned for heaven or a resurrected body that's not a glorified body, but a body that's made for the lake of fire. There's one of two places all people will spend eternity. And I will tell you this. If I didn't believe that, I would stop doing this today. There's no reason for me to continue to do this another 25 years. What a complete waste of my time if there really isn't a hell that I'm trying to warn people about. And I'm, sometimes I think I'm more concerned that people would be concerned that I would even say the word hell than there actually is a real hell. There is a real hell. Do we understand this? Jesus talked about this. I know it's not popular. You don't hear people talk about it or they do this kind of thing where they act like, well, we've, we've become more intellectually um, evolved that we don't talk about saying things like that. When this life is over, those who are not in Christ will experience that and there is no peace in hell. There's no peace in hell. You only get peace through the Savior. I think there's other reasons that people don't come to Christ. They've made a God of their imagination. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, well, that's not how my Jesus is. You know, a lot of people have this idea of Jesus that's not even found in this book, right? 
They just made a Jesus that seems sensible and genteel. Some people don't come to Jesus because they honestly, if they came to Jesus, the sin and darkness of their world will be exposed. The book of John tells us clearly, why do men not come to Jesus? Because their deeds are dark. And you come to Jesus, he is the light, and the light will expose darkness. That's why sometimes we don't come to him. It's not because we're, the message of Jesus is being presented poorly. It's because the message of Jesus actually shines light on our sin. I don't know, there's all sorts of reasons. But I want to tell you this. In 25 years I've been doing ministry, I am more concerned today than ever that there's a lot of people sitting in my congregation. Listen. There's a lot of people sitting in my congregation. There's a lot of people watching this online. I'm concerned. Now, I don't have some telepathic thing that God's telling me something. But if I'm looking at the percentages, I'm looking that the, the, way, the way is narrow. I'm fearful that there's so many. that If you ask them, how do you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life? The answer is not the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ alone. The answer is something of, well, I had this experience one time, or my parents took me to church, or, I mean, like, it's nothing about, I am in, I was in rebellion against the God of heaven, cosmic rebellion, and, and by God's grace, through faith, I am trusting in him and him alone for salvation. I am concerned that there's so many people that the reason they don't really have peace in their life, because they don't have peace with the Savior. And the great thing about Jesus is when you get him as your savior, you get not only the forgiveness of your sins, you're no longer under the wrath of God anymore, but you also get God right now. I can remember when I first started going to church, the idea was ask Jesus as your savior so you can escape hell. And that was kind of the biggest bulk of what you were told. And I would tell you, that's still a true message. But sometimes I think it was just an incomplete message. You not only escape hell with Jesus, but you get when you get Jesus, you get God. You get life right now, right? You get eternal life and life right now. It's a bigger package than just when this life is over. It starts right now. Have you ever wondered why some people are so in such turmoil? Because they don't have peace. You want to live a life that is enjoyable? I'm not saying it's perfect. Or that has perfect health, or you always get the pay raise. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about a life where you can go to bed at night and your soul is okay. That you can that that you can be okay. You can actually experience real peace in life. It only comes with the Savior. Now, a couple of weeks before um, I was gone, I kind of illustrated to you this way. It's kind of like this. I've got this chair here. This looks like a good chair, doesn't it? Y'all, y'all believe this looks like a good chair? Can I get amen? This looks like a good chair. Amen. Okay. Can I get a good clap? Okay. Man, don't y'all be hurting this chair's feelings with your clap, right? I'm still convinced of this more and more that there's people hearing my preaching every week for 25 years of ministry. You know what's scary is every now and then, I don't do it much often because honestly it's not a fun place to play anymore like social media used to be a fun place it's not fun anymore everybody's just angry right you wonder like well why are they so angry i'll tell you why because they don't have a savior like why why do we you ever wonder why do why do we scroll with without end why do we distract our soul because there's people are looking for peace they're looking for something 
You know what scares me is how many people have been in my ministry or passed through the doors or, and, and they don't really believe. They don't have peace with God. Jesus isn't their Savior. They, I, I just kind of, kind of just thought, well, you, you know, since you, said, since you said Jesus is Lord, that, that he really is your Lord. I, I'm convinced of this. I can look at this chair and I believe this chair can support me. Correct? Now, listen, I'm a big old boy, right? I'm a big boy. But when am I really believing this chair can support me? When I what? But here's what I'm convinced of 25 years of ministry. There's a lot of people that their belief in Jesus goes as far as it's going right now with me just looking at that chair and believing I can sit in it. I'm telling you, there's so many people, that's as far as belief has gone. It, their, their belief is just something intellectually passed down as they've heard words and scriptures read through church. There is no peace for me right now when I'm not truly believing that this chair can support me. So it's only when a person fully trusts that, and, and a person will never fully trust in Jesus, will never truly believe in Jesus when they don't know that they are in cosmic rebellion against God, that they have broken God's law and commandments, that they are a child of hell deserving of the wrath of God. But God is sweet in his just, in his, in his love and mercy to send Jesus to be a sin sacrifice and absorb the wrath of God in their place so that you could one day say, I not only intellectually believe that that church chair could, could support me, but that this chair actually can support me. 25 years, I'm convinced there's so many people that they have not sat down in a chair of belief. When you read the scriptures, belief is not just intellect. Do this. Look at your neighbor and say, belief is not intellect. Not just intellect. Uh, I had to put just. It's not just intellect. There is intellect involved in it. There is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But when you sit down in the chair of belief, you're saying, by faith, through God's grace, I know that I've broken God's law. I've broken his commandments. I deserve, a holy God, I deserve his justice and judgment. But that has been absorbed by the work of his son. That's what it means to believe. Believe in a biblical sense. The Bible, when it talks about believe, it's not talking about just intellect only. It's talking about the intellect plus you place everything you've got into the chair of Jesus. Now, 25 years, I'm scared there's a lot of people that have passed through my ministry and they are not sitting in the chair. Oh, they know all the great words and you talk to them. They know the phraseology, right? They know how to turn a phrase and go, oh, I believe. I'm talking about, are they really resting in Jesus alone. Now do this. Turn over to John 5. And in my our 10 days, I, I wrestled over this one verse many times, reflecting on my 25 years of ministry, and kind of thinking to myself, man, when it comes to the Christmas season, peace is what, when I think about Christmas time, I think about peace. There is no peace unless you've got the Savior. It's the Savior first, then you get peace. Get peace with God. Now, I kept wrestling over John 5, 25 over and over. And if you look at it, read it. I'm going to read it for you. Truly, truly, which means 
amen and amen. When we say the word amen, do you know it actually means true? By the way, do you know it's not a sin to say amen? <laughs> amen. It's not. It's not, it's not a sin. It's okay. Truly, truly. By the way, if you ever repeat things to your children more than once, you repeat things to your children more than once because you kind of hope they get it, right? Truly, truly. Amen and amen. Jesus says, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, if you look at the greater context and you read verses down, it talks about two types of physical resurrections. It talks about a resurrection for those who are in Christ, have a glorified body, and those who actually are not in Christ, are, do not have him as Savior, in the end would not have peace, who do not have a good resurrection. It's a bad resurrection. Eventually, you'll find the book of Revelation, it leads to the lake of fire, it leads to hell. But in verse 25, it's very interesting It's not talking about a physical resurrection in verse 25. It's talking about a spiritual resurrection. So in a moment, we're going to baptize some people. Baptism doesn't save you. What baptism does is it shows everybody outwardly what's happened for you inwardly. When a person gets baptized, what they're saying is, by faith, through grace, by faith, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. They go underneath the water. Then, Lord willing, they come up out of the water... There'll be a bad symbolism there, but they didn't come back out, right? I come back out of the water symbolizing that Jesus rose from the dead, that sin, death, and the hell did not conquer, conquer him, right? We know that he's overcome the grave. That's what we do. So when a person gets baptized, they're showing physically what's happened for them spiritually. They've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. God among us now comes to live inside their life. Their sins have been forgiven. They are no longer children of wrath. They are now children and friends of God. They no longer have to fear condemnation, right? They now will be welcomed into glory. Now, what's interesting is you look in verse 25. We also see that there is a a spiritual resurrection. And what I mean is that, that there's a time... You may not know the time. Uh, if you're raised in church, it may be harder. I, I, I wasn't raised in church, so I can kind of point this out. But there is a spiritual resurrection that happens. And notice in this verse, he says this. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of God. In this text, in verse 25, he's not talking about physical death yet. He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about a person who's not in Christ. He's talking about a person who does not have peace with God. He's talking about a person who doesn't have him as Savior. When the dead will hear the voice of God, and those who hear will what? Will what? Live. When I was 16 years old, this is verse 25 happened for me when I was 16 years old. I can remember it. I was on my parents' tan couch, and you might be going like, Nick, Oh, you told this so much, I know it. Well, good, because I hope you hear me talk about my testimony enough that we all realize that we should be doing our own testimonies and everybody where you live, work, and play should know your testimony, right? You should, we should be saying it enough. But I want to point out a couple things. I remember I've been, I was reading the book of Romans trying to figure out this whole salvation thing, right? Because I, I was told, ask Jesus as your Savior, and you won't go to hell. And I was thinking, that sounds like a great, that sounds like a great idea, okay? And I can remember at 16 when I came to faith, 
about a year before that, I started going to church. And I can remember the pastor, we had, an, we had something called an invitation. We would sing a song called Just As I Am. Do y'all, y'all remember that? Do y'all remember that? Just As I Am? You still remember? You don't know the middle verses, right? He just kind of mumbled and just, that, you know, y'all remember that? Okay, I do. Great, great memories, right? You remember, it's kind of like, can we stop singing this and go to lunch? Yeah, you remember that, think, thinking that? So I can remember singing Just As I Am. Come down to the, come down to the front to the stairs. We called it the altar. And I remember the pastor comes in next to me and the pastor says, why have you come down here, son? I said, I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus to be my savior. And he said, well, ask him. And I said, Jesus, be my savior. Look back at him like, you know, give me the thumbs up. Did I complete the religious ritual properly so that I can get, so can I escape hell? And he gave me the thumbs up. Everything looked good. The next week I got baptized. I even got myself a gold cross, right? I mean, like set. And I can remember for the next year, Something just wasn't right. And I didn't know what was right. I didn't know. But by God's hand, the youth ministry was reading through the book of Romans. We were reading the book of Romans, right? What a great youth ministry I got to cut my teeth in. And I can remember this cape. I I just couldn't understand. I knew that I knew that by I could ask Jesus as my Savior and he would give me eternal life. But it was something inside my soul was like, man, you, you don't have this yet. I know you want it. You don't have it yet. I don't know. It's just the Holy Spirit was communicating. There was no audible voice from God. It was just every time we gave an invitation, it was like, man, I'm not there. Man, I, I'm still a child of hell. Like, I don't understand. So I remember reading the book of Romans. And I don't remember where I was in the book of Romans. But all of a sudden, I remember life came to me. I heard the voice of God. Did not hear it audibly. Did not hear, Nick, this is Jesus. No. I can remember there on that tan couch, the middle cushion of that tan couch. And all of a sudden, there was like a light bulb idea came on in my mind. It was, you deserve the judgment of hell. You deserve the wrath of God. You have lied. You have lusted. You have dishonored your parents. You have broken God's commands. And then all of a sudden, I started to make a connection between, oh, when Jesus came, he lived perfectly Different from you, Nick, you've lived imperfectly, unrighteously. And on the cross, a glorious exchange happened. My sin for his righteous life. And God accepted that. He was the perfect sacrifice. And by faith, if I just call out and ask, I can have salvation. It was that light bulb moment on the couch. That was where I became a follower. That Now look back at verse 25. I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is describing this aspect of only God can do it. We use a big word sometimes called regeneration, but we'll push that aside. It just means this. We're dead in our sins. We're dead to spiritual life. That God comes in and gives, and, and gives us spiritual life. He makes us alive at 16 sitting on the middle cushion of tan couch. It's like God gave me, God like his voice spoke to me. Not audibly, didn't hear anything, but it's like I knew that, okay, that's it. I deserve God's wrath, but a glorious exchange has happened. Thank you, Jesus. And I can remember my life changing from there. I remember all of a sudden, I wasn't just reading the book of Romans, I was reading the rest of this book. And I can remember asking myself like, God, what do you want in my life? What do you want? But like, you're, you're now, you're not just a savior, you're a Lord. And guess what? I started experiencing in my life something that had never happened before. Peace. Peace with God. 
I was no longer, I, I could go through another just as I am. Y'all remember it, right? I could go like, just through another just as I am invitation, not think like, man, I'm a child of hell thinking like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. But then even more than that, not only did I have that the peace of God for eternity, but I had the peace of God in my life right now. The things that I thought used to satisfy me didn't bring satisfaction anymore. Only he brought true satisfaction, peace with God. The greatest thing that you can have, that I can have, that any of us can have at this season of life is peace with God. Peace with God only comes through Jesus Christ. It only comes through belief. It only comes in sitting down in the seat of Jesus, completely trusting in him and him alone for salvation. Not how you're raised, not even in a baptism, but trusting in Jesus alone. Now, I'll end with this. You know what stopped me for a little bit? So I became a follower Remember, right there on the couch, and I remember wanting to declare that to people, but I'd already made a profession a year earlier, right? Gotten baptized, got the gold gold cross necklace, right? Everybody with me? I was a little embarrassed, thinking that everybody would go, man, what's wrong with you, you idiot? I mean, can't you, can't you trust Christ rightly? <laughs> you know? Isn't it foolish some of the things we think people are going to say that aren't really true? It's really foolish. There's all these things people think, church people think about them, that really aren't what? Aren't true. But I remember, like, wanting to hide this message and not tell people, afraid that people would make fun of me or go like, you got baptized, you got the, you got the gold cross, man, what are you talking about? Finally, there was enough courage where I finally came out and said, hey, I actually wasn't saved, now I am, and I follow the Lord in believer's baptism a second time. Actually, the first time I just got a bath, right? But this time I followed him and believer's baptism. So I want to tell you even today, if you're kind of like, you know what, Nick? I know I've crossed from death to life, but I've, I've been willing to tell anybody about it. I'm kind of embarrassed. They're not be embarrassed about because it wasn't you that actually saved yourself. No one saves themselves. How can dead people save themselves? No, here's what happens. Go to verse 25. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, in the context, he's talking about those that will Come to believe. Some will already start to believe. But I want you to notice something. The hour is coming and now what? Is. For some of us, now is that day of salvation. Now is the day to believe. The biggest lie that I really believe Satan would want to tell anybody is wait, wait, wait. Like I sat on that middle couch in my parents' bedroom when... When, when I heard the voice of God, I lived and I could do nothing else but live in Christ. If you might be here today and finally, it's like something, a light bulb moment has gone on. Maybe you fully understand like, oh, wait a minute. I am a sinner. I'm not good. I can't save myself. Maybe the light bulb moment has come on. What does God want you to do? He wants you to tell somebody today. And you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to get baptized. And you're like, I don't have any clothes to get baptized. Well, we'll find you some clothes, right? I mean, like, we'll make it happen for you. He would want you to follow him from here on out. In 25 years of pastoral ministry, this is what I've learned. This is what I've seen. And I hope no one leaves here today without the peace of God in their life. You got questions? We live, we exist to help answer those questions. Right, church? That's why we're here. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song to the Lord. If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Nick, I know it. I, I, 
I, I believe. What, what do I do next? Man, ask him, call out to him. Let, let, me, let me pray with you. And I want to pray a prayer that, that I prayed. I remember sitting on that couch. Would you join in with me here? I'm going to pray this. It went something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve hell. I deserve your judgment. But you died for my sin. You suffered in my place. You took the judgment I deserved. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for being my Lord. It was a prayer like that. And I can tell you this, maybe that kind of prayer has gone on your heart and soul today. We want to hear about it. It was as simple as that, but there was a belief behind it. Let me play a final prayer over us and we're going to sing. Father, there are some here who don't have peace with God through Jesus. Would you let this be their day of salvation? Now is the time that the voice of the Son of God and those that hear will live. Will you let by your own gracious hand, by only the work that only you can do. Would you let some live today? Would you let them? Would you do it? God, I'm so thankful that all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are some that are not calling upon the name of the Lord. Would they be willing to pray for their soul? Would they be willing to ask you, Would they be willing to keep hearing? Would they be willing to let faith get built through hearing the word of God? God, would you do this? And God's people said, amen. Let's sing together.